Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. So the question I've been asking myself recently is what will us, the church, be known for as we emerge from this season? It goes without saying, this has been a crazy season. Everyone keeps talking about that. But what will we, the church, be known for? Now, in the 1700s, there was a group out of England called the Clapham Sect, and they saw something wrong with their culture. Culture was anti-gospel, if you want to put it that way. And they thought, man, we need to redeem it. We need to be known for something other than what our culture is producing. So they abolished slavery. It was a 40-year battle. And there, we look back on history, we see that the church, Christians are known as abolitionists. So what about us? As I look at this, I think the solution, I think the answer, I think what we could be known for is found in this text. Like I said earlier, a very, very uncomfortable text. So I'm going to read it to you. And we pick up in Matthew chapter 18, and it's right after Peter has this interaction with Jesus asking, how many times should I forgive my brother? And Jesus gives him a mathematical answer. He says 70 times seven, but we know that's not the heart of what he was talking about. The heart of it was the very essence of forgiveness. It was one of exactly what I just said. It's a heart issue. It's not a mathematical issue. And it continues, and again, I'm warning you, this is, this is uncomfortable stuff, but I'm going to read it. I invite you to join along. Matthew 18, 23 says this. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay him, his Lord commanded him, to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and the repayment to be made. So the servant fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Verse 27. And the Lord of that servant felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his other fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and he gave, he began to choke him saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow servant fell to the ground and began and pleaded with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back all that was owed. So when his fellow servant saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. And they summoning him, the Lord said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you had pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow servant? And in the same way, what I had mercy, when I had mercy on you and the Lord moved with anger, handed him over to tortures until he should repay all that was owed to him. My heavenly father will also do the same to you as if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. That's not easy to hear. But I think if the church of you and I and all of us here at North Coast Calvary Chapel could be known as people of forgiveness, it would leave a true and eternal mark on our culture. You see, we pick up in verse 23 and it says this, for the reason, for this reason, the, the kingdom of God may be compared to. And so we get a glimpse. Jesus here is giving us a glimpse of what Eternity looks like when Jesus is on the throne, this is what it looks like. It looks like forgiveness. 
And so as we, it piques our interest and we look into it, we, that picture that Jesus shares is one of a king who wished to settle his account with his servants. Now, this was a huge debt. This is a debt that's said to have been about 10,000 talents or at least $12 million in today's pay. So this is a significant amount. And verse 25, you see, here comes the justice. You see, he did not have anything to repay his master. And so he was to be sold. Not only him, but his wife and his kids and his family and all of his possessions. You see, this is how the king settled the score. And we see here in this passage, but the king still gets a raw end of the deal. This isn't a fair transaction. He still owed a lot more than what the life and the price of his servant and his servant's family and all of his possessions. It came up short. In verse 26, we see that the servant falls to his face and begs for patience. He's pleading with his Lord, please just have patience with me. And so the king miraculously feels compassion for him and released the servant and forgave him. What an incredible picture we see here. And don't you get it? Like, okay, this is in scripture. We understand that this here is a picture of the kingdom. So the king here would be God, right? And the indebted servant, well, that's you and me. That's us. The unpayable debt, it's our sin. The justice, well, God ultimately gets the raw end of the deal. Because ultimately we know then the the big picture God had to send his only son, Jesus, to pay for what we owe, to pay for our sin. We understand that. And the grace here is that God ultimately forgives us of our sins. We know that. And in this passage, we see that. It's incredible. A great debt. He pleads before them with repentance and the king forgives them. Incredible story. So wouldn't it be wonderful if the story just ended there? (laughs) It doesn't. It continues, verse 28, the servant's response. After being forgiven, the servant in verse 28 finds another servant who owed him 100 denarii. And this amount is significant. It's not insignificant, but it's it's 100 days wage. He finds him, grabs him by the throat, chokes him out, and he denied the debtor's plea. And then he had him thrown in prison. And so everybody around, verse 31, it says they're crying. They're saying, wait a minute, you're a forgiven people. Why? Would you not pass on forgiveness? If you were forgiven, why now this hypocritical outlook? Is he now turning to his friend and saying, man, I'm going to let you have it. You owe me everything and I'm going to come after you and you're not free until you repay me what you owe me. So because everybody else cries out, the king hears of it. And in verse 32, he responds with anger. And then he hands them over to what it says, torture, right here in scripture. This is, again, not easy to hear. So now we're sensing the severity of this passage. Verse 35, Jesus says, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. Bold, strong words from Jesus here. This isn't a precious moment passage. This is gritty gospel So how do we explain this? I mean, yikes, this is crazy. So if we're living in unforgiveness, this passage is saying that God hands us over to tortures. What do we do with this? So I think 
My studying, I was looking to see what Chuck Smith had to say about it. Chuck Smith's like the founder, the godfather of the Calvary Chapel movement. And in his commentary, he goes, I don't know what to do with it. I, see, I don't know what to do with it. I've never read that in a commentary. His said that. And as we look at other doctrines and theologies, try to make sense of it, I think they fall short. You know, if you look at maybe like a Calvinist theology, you say, well, handing them over to torture, that's, you know, that's the torture of an unforgiving heart. You're going to live in that torture. But I think the short-sightedness would be that when are you going to repay all that God, all that you owe God? That's, that's my question. So if, if God hands us over to torture, how are you going to repay him? And then maybe an Arminian theology might suggest that constitutes a loss of salvation. Well, I think there's short-sightedness there as well. Because is unforgiveness truly the unpardonable sin? I don't think so. And so what do we do with this? This is, this is crazy. What can we all agree on? Well, first of all, we can all agree that God's forgiveness is radical and it's costly. It's radical and it's costly. Let me explain. Forget the 12 million or the 100 days wage. It cost him his son. So he understands what forgiveness is all about. And God will never ask you to do something that he himself hasn't modeled. And so in his plea for the church to understand that they need, that we need to be a people of forgiveness, listen, he gets it. He gets it. Forgiveness is radical. It's costly. He knows that. We can expect the same for you and I. Forgiving our brother, forgiving our sister, forgiving our enemy, it's going to be extremely costly at time and it's going to be extremely radical. It just is. It's disruptive. Secondly, we can all agree that forgiveness is mandatory for Christ followers. You don't get an out here. This isn't some, well, if you theologically align over here, you can do this. No, no, no. Jesus is saying this is the mandate and he's used strong verbiage all along. God will not tolerate unforgiveness. It goes against his nature. Therefore, it must go against our nature. We have to be aware of it in our lives and we have to do something about it. And lastly, the world's not going to tolerate it. They're going to do the same thing and say, wait a minute, you're a forgiven people. If Jesus has so-called forgiven you, why aren't you forgiving your brother and sister? They'll get it. They'll pick up on it. And that's, that's just, they're going to call you out. That's just the bottom line. Ephesians 4.30. You guys have your Bibles turned there. I want to read this to you because I think it kind of opens up. Maybe it might, this might personalize it just a little bit. But in verse 30, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. But then it gets into let all bitterness. This is one of Paul's lists. He's notorious for giving these lists. So verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So he gives a do not list. Do not let bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be, uh, be involved in your life. And so I look at this, I'm going, okay, yeah. Oftentimes in my life, I see those things creep in. You probably do too. Like bitterness, yep, check it. I've got that at times. Wrath, 100%. I know that about me. I know I'm a sinner that falls short. And this is where you'll see it emerge. Oh my gosh. Anger, you betcha. 
Clamor, I don't know what that is, but I'm sure I've got it. Slander, you bet, I'm good at that. And so when those things are present, I think that's the fruit of an unforgiving heart. Somewhere, something, I'm not content with it, and I'm working and I'm manipulating my way through life in such a way that I'm trying to be the God of my own life and I'm categorizing people of how they've offended me, who's on my team, who's not on my team. And this is the fruit of that. And he gives a do list. Paul says, he's like, these are the things to do. Be kind to one another. Okay, that's fair. Be tenderhearted. All right. And then lastly, he says, forgiving one another just as Christ has forgiven you. So Paul here, I think is, it's essential to know that if we focus on these do's, forgiving, being tenderhearted, being kind to one another, the don'ts will fade away. The anger, the malice, the jealousy, all the junk, I think that begins to fade away. At least I know that to be true in my life. And I believe it's, these are all the fruits of either forgiveness or unforgiveness. And so maybe it's time to just take inventory. Are these things present in your life? Well, maybe there's unforgiveness somewhere in your life. Or are you free? It's another way to take inventory. Man, are you free this morning? Are you free right now? What an awesome invitation by God. He's saying be free. Be free from the past debt. Be free. Walk in freedom. He released the servant. He releases you and I. Are we willing to take him up on that? Now you might be saying, all right, preacher boy, like how, who are you to stand there and to even try to expect to know what I've gone through? And you're right, 100%. I don't know what you've gone through. I know that there's grotesque sin in this world. And I know that that sin is enacted on people that we, it comes from people we love, people we don't know. All that to say is that there's a lot of hurt in this world. And you might be someone who has had something egregious happen to you. And I'm not going to sit here and sit, pretend that these simple Bible story is going to solve all your problems. But I am going to stand here and say that I know the one who offers freedom. And that's what this passage is talking about. It's the God that we serve. He's offering freedom to you and I right here, right now. And now, granted, I get it. There's different variances of hurt. And you might be saying, I don't know how I will ever forgive the person who's harmed me so maliciously. I'm just here to offer freedom. That's it. I'm just, I look to this passage and say, okay, God, do your best. Listen, I have been wronged and I have forgiven. And I also have been unforgiving at times. I've hurt others and um, I've been forgiven. And I've also not been forgiven. It's a complex reality that we live in in this world dealing with forgiveness. And so the question is, how do I forgive? How do I receive this freedom that you speak of? Well, I think the Sunday school answer is threefold. I'll just put it this way. First of all, I think that John 15 relationship, okay? If you're coming from a place of hurt or if you're coming from a place of like unforgiveness, it starts with that intimacy with God, all right? It's taking our eyes off the problem itself and fixing our attention on God. Again, this is like the Sunday school answer. Just so let me just get through it. Secondly, what that intimacy with God produces is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? That John 15 is like a branch attached to a tree. And that branch eventually, once it's been there in the presence of God, will start to produce fruit. 
the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and all these wonderful things. And listen, if that's who you are and you're living in that reality, you're not going to offend anybody. That's just the bottom line. You're going to be a person of of joy and love. Like, listen, you're you're not going to offend anybody. You're not going to have to go and ask for forgiveness anytime soon. Thirdly, it comes down to praying and acting. Okay, taking this situation, taking this person and really praying into it, spending time and space and leaning into their grievance and your grievance. And then acting on it. What is God asking you to do? Is he asking you to get back with that, in that person's life? Is he asking you to just completely be released from it? That'll be between you and God. That's not for some preacher to say. But here are some practical answers, okay? This is more, I think, steps that we as people need to take for, to really enter into wholeness and healing. First of all, I think counseling and therapy aren't a bad thing. I love that our church has a counseling center. And for some of you, and you've ha- again, you've had egregious things happen to you. Sin is horrible and it's painful and it's, it's unspeakable at times. Well, we have people on staff here who are trained to unpack these things and to help get you to a place of wholeness and healing. And it's all gospel-centered. It's all focused around this invitation for you and I to be free and to be free through forgiveness. So don't look down on it. Counseling and therapy are for the broken. And guess what? According to scripture, we're all broken. So we should all be in it. Secondly, I think discipline is a big one here. Oftentimes when something is broken in my life or I have someone that I'm angry with or someone I've offended or whatever, it's, I don't have the discipline to lean into it, to, to make it a center point in my life, to spend adequate time addressing it. I'll ignore it and numb it and do everything but, but I think discipline is doing the things that we don't necessarily like to do. One of my heroes is a guy by the name of Brother Andrew. And Brother Andrew has done ministry in the toughest places all around the world. He's got friends who he's ministered to who are in the Taliban. He's ministered to them in prison. I mean, this guy goes to the darkest places. And when I asked him, I said, Brother Andrew, how do you, how do, you do it? How do you, how do you be in relationship with your enemy and do all these incredibly difficult things? He goes, well, it all starts with discipline. He goes, I wake up at four o'clock in the morning and I pray for my friends who don't know Jesus yet. I pray for my friends who've committed horrible, horrible crimes against humanity. And that's when I start to see them through the lens of God. And I go, wow, that's incredible. So discipline is something that I think we need to address as followers of Jesus. What does your prayer life look like? What does your time in scripture look like? Lastly, I think we need to make room for the miraculous. Oftentimes our lives are so compact with things and I mean, every hour of the day is and thought is just packed in there. So God is desiring to heal us. We know that we've read it in scripture, but we're only going to experience that if we make room for that. If we trust that, that God's healing heart is for you in the situation that you're in. He's longing to free you from this bondage. So what I want to do right now is I want you to think of a person, someone who's offended you, someone who's wronged you, someone who's hurt you. 
And I want you to do that right now. We're going to take just a moment of silence, and I want you to think about, like, God, put that person in your mind right now. And now I'm going to read a portion of Psalm 32. How blessed is he or she whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Father, we recognize that there's great pain in this world. We recognize the pain in our own lives. We recognize the pain that we've caused others. And Lord, we're asking for forgiveness for our sins, for our transgressions right now. We recognize the enormity of what you went through to forgive us. And we're so grateful We ask for the spirit of no deceit. We pray for honesty. We pray for just the awareness, Lord, that you're causing all things to work for good. That we would no longer believe the lie that others have any control or power over us. Help us forgive and restore freedom to us. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.